When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And Manchester City are champions for the fourth time in five years. Back-to-back winners to boot after a thrilling, nerve-jangling final game of the season against Aston Villa. What a game. What a season. What a team. What a manager. What a lineup for this week's podcast. Welcome to three guests. To Nick Goldstone. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nigel. Welcome to Roger Reed. Hi, Rog. Hi, Nigel. And welcome to Sarah Messenger. Sarah, welcome. Uh, hello, Nigel. Uh, Rog, we are champions. I, I, I want to kind of start at, at kind of 2-0. How were you feeling at that point? What were your thoughts at 2-0 down? Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing for me was that, particularly first half, uh, I thought we had several players who were suffering with nerves. They, they really weren't playing as well as they have been doing for the rest of the season. And uh, I'm not going to name names, but there were three or four uh, and, and not only were we uh, looking collectively as though we were suffering with nerves, we had one or two players who normally would have been taking opposition players on directly. And they seemed reluctant to do that as well. So uh, I, I think the occasion maybe was a bit too much for one or two of our players in the first half. And, you know, at the end of the day, players are human. You know, there was a big build-up, massive build-up before the game. Um, you and I would have been affected by it. You know, I think one or two players were affected by it. And it took us quite a while to get into our stride. Sarah, were you affected by it? Or were you going into this game confident and knowing that we were just going to get across the line? Been here before. Rog talks about people, players being there. We've been here before, haven't we? We have. We've got a lot of experience on it, haven't we? Um, I, I mean, look, you know, like every City fan, there's always that little tiny element of if we're not 3-0 up by half-time, I'll be slightly anxious. Um, so I'd be lying if I said I was sitting there very calmly at 1-0 down, and I definitely was very worried when we got to 2-0, but we'll no doubt return to that point of the game in a moment. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I hear what Roger says. It wasn't a great performance in the first half. I, I don't know whether it was nervous. It could be the occasion. And maybe the fact that we didn't have the Champions League follow. There was a sense of if we don't win today, have we turned our entire season into a disaster? I just thought that actually Villa were quite well set up. And we had quite City have had quite a few games where teams that are well organised defensively prove to be very frustrating. I've watched quite a few games where City have given the ball away, have um, you know not attract, att- attacked with the usual penetration. We've gone down a wing, we've come back, we've recycled the ball, um, but without a sort of the punch that we associate with City. We're used to the ball going or down the sides, back out across and so on but so I, I I don't know whether it was just that Villa were better organized than they anticipated and then the occasion on top resulted in a pretty poor first half performance would you agree with all of that Nick would you have a different view I think I I'd agree with all of it but but I think I'd uh, this uh, there's some other comments that I would make um I mean, there's no there's no names to be named in terms of players because they were all heroes and uh, you know at the end of the day it turned out better than it could ever have possibly been you couldn't make it up it was phenomenal um, but um, Fernandinho playing at centre back was an absolute car crash uh, when I saw the team line up and when everybody saw the team line up that I was talking to and out and all about my my family and everyone. We assumed he was playing at right back, which was yeah okay. Um, it's not as bad as centre back. Uh, thank God we've got stoned back in the middle. Um, when they were when they were training pre-game, the back four were doing some little exercises, and Fernandinho was stood in the middle too. And my dad said to me. He's playing a centre-back. And I said, no, that would be ludicrous. Don't be ridiculous. It's just some training exercise. And then the game started. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Um, And, uh, you know, let's be honest. What what came to pass in the first half was a direct result of that uh, decision. and it affected, I think, pretty much the whole team in one way or another. I thought our right-hand side going forward was totally ineffective. Um, and therefore, it put added pressure onto the onto the rest of the team. And defensively, uh, it just gave Villa a, a, a vast chasm of space to run into. And they, obviously, they targeted that side and they... Um, they did really well out of it, and they got a good goal. Uh, and then everything changed, and it was great. <laughs> uh, but you did say you weren't going to name names, but you've mentioned one of my all-time heroes, Fernandinho, and I think it is a shame that that maybe his last game where he was substituted at half-time might be sort of... I don't think he's going to be remembered for that, is he? He's going to be remembered for nine amazing years, and, and you know, I just That's think he's been one of, our, one of our best. Rog, just sort of going back to, to, to that sort of first-half performance... Um, Clearly, it wasn't just, I think, the fact that there was maybe nerves, or maybe it was because of nerves, that passes were going astray. We didn't seem to be zipping the ball around with the same sort of pace, the same sort of intensity. There didn't seem to be that confidence at all. And and, and, and as a number of people have said, when, when defence set up as, as effectively as Villa did, we just couldn't see a way through, could we? 
It was so difficult because normally you see, and then Sarah's used the right word, the, the, the penetration that we have through defences is normally prevalent. And I, th I think for the first half, we, we really only created a couple of chances and, and those two chances were probably only half chances. So, yeah, we weren't, we weren't quite penetrating like we would normally. I put it down to nerves. Um, other people might put it down to Villa defending very well. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I, keep, I said before, I think players are human and we forget, forget that sometimes. Um, I think the system, the, or the, the first 11 that he picked was the right 11 to play, but just one or two were not quite there on the day. And um, in the end, we were rescued by the three substitutes, weren't we? You know, all three played a key part in changing it. Um, credit to the manager, credit to the coaching staff. They spotted what we needed and uh, and they made an instant impact. So, you know, yeah, great in the end, but um, one or two were not quite at the races. Interesting, Sarah, isn't it? Because on this show, we've been critical of Pep, haven't we, in terms of not using his substitutes. The, I think it was at the uh, Crystal Palace game uh, where we were we were at nil-nil and he didn't bring anybody on at all. And there's just one example that just springs to mind straight away. But as Rog rightly says, what, what substitutions? And, and isn't it amazing when you can do that and it comes off as well as it does? Well, is it genius or is it just that we've got a fantastic squad and the subs did what they were supposed to do? Maybe, maybe a combination of two. I mean, two goals and two assists out of your subs is not bad, is it, really? Um, I just wanted to just quickly go back to what Roger was saying. What, what struck me as quite interesting yesterday was the number of players who were in tears, including Pep, of course, as well, um, at the end. And... You know, we've done this four times in five years. Not that you should ever be blasé about winning a Premier League, but you just wonder whether there was something about the momentous sort of psychological effort it's taken to hold off Liverpool and this threat of them winning the, 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 the you know the quad squad nonsense that actually probably did partly affect the game. That there was so much emotion came out more than I've seen when we've won other Premier League titles that. I think there's I think there's something in that that probably did affect it. But um, the subs came good. Your thoughts, Nick, on the emotion? Uh, I know you're an emotional chap as well. You were there with your dad. Um, I'm sure that was a wonderful for you to be at, at the stadium next to your dad, who, who made you a City fan after all, uh, and, and maybe those substitutes as well. Yeah, I was there with my dad and my daughter Annabelle, and it was it was it was fantastic, and it, it was emotional, and I'm actually emotional about it now, thinking about it. Um, but the atmosphere was unbelievable. I mean, it, there were there were a number of parallels with um, with ten years ago. Genuinely, um, it felt similar before the game. I was a lot more nervous than you know the Brighton, the West Ham, whatever. It really felt different. And the atmosphere inside the ground also really, really felt really different. It really felt like it was not just completely full, but over full. You know, it, was, it felt like the fans were almost on the pitch, you know, and jumping out of the out of the stands before they did jump out of the stands. <laughs> um, and um, so, I, yeah, it was it was a very emotional day. 
And I can understand it from the players because, you know, none of them were there 10 years ago. None of them have really experienced anything like that uh, at, at City. It was very different. It was phenomenal. And there was a huge amount of emotion in there. And I, look, I, I agree with Roger that, it, and, I'm certainly, and I'm certainly not disagreeing with him in, in terms of the, the players, are, yes, they're human. And yes, they don't necessarily uh, perform... Hundred percent, all of the time, every every game, and you know that just doesn't matter. It wasn't about that yesterday. It, they were brilliant, particularly second half. Um, it, but just just a phenomenal day. Uh, and Rog, what do you put that emotion down to? We've had had a couple of uh, reasons from from both Sarah and and from Nick. Where, where do you sit on the kind of the emotional side of things? Why why I do you think, think Pep so. and the team got so emotional? Yeah, I think Sarah's right. I, th- I think when you look at the pressure that we've been under during the season, I mean, don't forget, we've played the whole season with... Uh, I, I've been on the podcast several months ago saying my concern was that we only had a 20-man squad where most of the Premier League clubs had 25-man senior squads. So we got through the season with a 20-man squad. We've also got through the season without a recognised striker following Sergio's retirement at the end of last season. So... To get through the season, to score 99 goals, uh, to reach the point that we reached yesterday where we're on the fringe of, of winning the, 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 the Premier League again, um, but then trailing to Villa, uh, you can understand the reason for the emotion. You know, there, there's a real build-up there. There's a, a, a welling up. And I think that then you've got the added scenario of... Uh, with the greatest respect, we had the Manchester Arena bombing anniversary yesterday that when 22 people sadly lost their lives. You know, the 22-minute uh, tribute was lovely. That would have impacted on people. Zinchenko, you know, with with what's happening in his home country, you can understand again the emotion. And people who are close to Alexander Zinchenko, quite a few of the players very close to him, and they were drawn into his emotion, you know. So, yeah, it was an emotional time. You can understand the emotion at the end. Not to mention the turnaround, because, frankly, 2-0 at 65 minutes... We're all like going back to Gillingham and thinking it's over. Should we go home? You know, it was awful. We should know better though now, shouldn't we, Roger? We've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when, when you go... just, just, just to pick up on this emotion point as well, one of the things that I think is, you know, and everyone might say this about their team, but I really believe it about City. I think those players actually really love each other in, in a, you know, in a kind of. Uh, with respect, I think they care about each other. You don't get any sense of cliques and um, jealousies in a way. We we know our friends at Stretford have got problems coming out of their uh, provincials, but, uh, you know, other clubs as well, you do get a sense that sometimes, you know, the English players hang around and then the the Latin American or South American players hang around. You just don't get that sense at City. I really think they... I agree with you totally, Sarah. Yeah. And so yeah, therefore, the group mentality, the siege mentality, it's all there. And if you see the scenes in the dressing room at the end of the game, you can see the collectivity of all of them. You know, you've, you've got Mares and, and Sterling. One came off and the other came on to substitute for him. And they're embracing. They both know they've played a key part during the season. doesn't matter whether one was on at the end of the game or not. You know, the collection, the collectivity of that unit is fantastic. Uh, and Nick, you know what I'm going to say next in terms of who, who's going to be creating that we've got world superstars the best players in the world on huge wages massive egos and there's one man who's done that 
and and he's yeah. got to take credit, hasn't he, as being one of the greatest ever? Yeah, and that's what I was what I was just about to say was that that's what that that when he comes out after every single game, whether you've won or whether you've lost, and particularly when you've lost or you've done you've not done particularly well, and he says, "I love them all. They were amazing. That was the best performance ever." Week after week after week after week. That's what that is all about, because nothing matters more than those relationships in in the team and inside the dressing room. And nothing breaks that ever. Uh, and Nick, let's just just move on to to these goals because they will obviously go down in in history. Of course, there was. Uh... Uh, we won't go back to the Aguero um, ten years ago because we all remember that so well. But let's just 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 bask in in, in the glory for for a moment of of just three very different goals. Um, and, and and the first one we've talked about the substitutes and two substitutes kind of <clears throat> playing their part on the. Just how did you see it? What what was your recollection? What, what, what how would you describe that goal? The first one. You I tell you what you do the first. Rog can do the second, and Sarah can do the third. How's that? We'll have one each. Yeah, well, the first goal, you see Raheem Sterling standing up his defender, one-on-one, and everybody shouting, as always, take him on, take him on, take him on, which is exactly what he does. He gets half a yard, he puts the perfect, possibly one of his best ever crosses, ever, the perfect ball over to the back post, and Ilkay Gundogan times his run to perfection, raises himself and leaps into the air and sticks it in the back of the net like a bullet. As In some ways, the simplest goal you'll ever see. 2-1. And then just a few moments later, I, Roger Reed takes up the commentary. Yeah, well, I mean, we've mentioned before, I, I was concerned in the first half that we didn't have players taking people on. Um, but our second glorious substitution was Zinchenko coming on, who was absolutely superb uh, throughout his whole, uh, the whole time he was on the pitch. And he, he took he took the guy on from the corner flag and left him for dead and played the absolute perfect square ball, or, well, actually, it was slightly behind um, for Rodri to run onto. And then Rodri, it, incredibly, he didn't hit it. He just took it in his stride and side-footed it right in the corner. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. It was, it was incredible. And I think the wave of emotion, that's when the crowd suddenly realised, hey, hang on a minute, game on here. You know, it was a bit like Gillingham. But even when Kevin Horlock scored that goal against Gillingham, we all thought it was a consolation. And when Paul Dickoff scored, of course, all of a sudden you think, wow, hang on, we can win this. What's going on? <laughs> but, but, but you're right. I mean, Rodri, just the way he just placed that. I mean, it was in the perfect place. Literally. It was. It, it was. was just flexion would have taken it wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. It was incredible. Yeah. yeah. So there Same we point. were. Sarah, game on. Two all. Take it, take it, take it. Just, just have have an hour and a half, Sarah. It's over to you. I don't, I don't care how long the show is. It'll, this t- it'll take an hour and a half, Nigel, because as you know, it was a goal of pure perfection. Um, and and actually, there was a, there was a. If we're all really honest, when Jekko scored ten years ago, there was a sense of oh great, you, you know, now you do it. Uh, same with Horlock's goal, and there was a little bit of because I still knew that Liverpool were going to score a winner, so there was a little bit of Rodri's beautiful goal still leaving us with a sense of. Um, uh, of not quite achieving it. But, I mean, look, there's a shocking touch from Mings, let's be frank, but 
shocking touch or not, the way De Bruyne anticipated that ball and then hit one of his... He's done it many times before and he's actually one of the very few, if only, players in the world who can hit a cross like that between the keeper and the defender. Um, It was a beautiful ball and at last somebody had made an effort to jog in at the back post and, you know, he couldn't miss, could he? But the delirium uh, was... You know, that's that's what we live for. And much as much as like many City fans, I wish we'd been three 0 up at half time and won it six 0 When you win it like that, you wouldn't swap it for the world because the emotions are so much more powerful than if we'd had a routine victory at home. And just two things on that, if I can. I mean, the, De Bruyne was third favourite to get to that ball, wasn't he? You know, when you see you see, I've sort of watched it back later, and you see that frozen image. He's he's there's two. Villa defenders closer to that ball than he is, yeah, but he's yeah. so on the ball. He's so active. He's so proactive. He's he, he just and and of course you say that pinpoint pass and and Ilkay Gundogan just a few minutes on him because he got married in the week, yeah, and you know he's he's popped up twice. I think he's one of the most underrated players. Yeah, when you know we talk about the great superstars Bernardo and and Grealish and 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 he doesn't often get a mention, does he? In that breath, I just hope that those two goals will propel him into sort of a greater status, if you like, with, with, with City fans. Because Nick, he, he doesn't always get talked about in the same breath as some of our superstars, does he? No, I guess not. Not this year. Particularly, he's had more of a quiet year and he's had injuries and he's played a little bit less. Um, yeah, he's just one of those guys that's always been a little bit under the radar for the most part. I mean, he had a golden period uh, last year. Um but, you know, fantastic player. Rog, how did you feel then at, at full time then? What was, I, I want to get the emotion oh. out here. We're, we're, we're talking about emotion here. What, what were you feeling at, at that final whistle? How, well, how did well, that I, I mean, I'd lost my voice by the, by the final whistle, as you can imagine. Um, and no, it was just, it was absolutely wonderful. It was like the Gillingham QPR all rolled into one. You know, it was, it was just uh, tremendous to come back from two down. But just going back to Ilke Gundogan, I, I think I think the big thing. Yeah, I think City fans have heard the rumours that Bernardo might be on his way, that uh, Ilke Gundogan, that Gabby uh, might be on their way during the summer. Uh, listen, those three players have got to stay for me. They are top top quality. One of our star players of the first half yesterday was actually Gabriel Jesus. He I was agree with absolutely you. brilliant. And he I kept agree. trying, he kept trying, he kept working his socks off. He was always the one to try and close off the back the pass to the goalkeeper. He yeah. worked so, so hard for no for, for not much return, to be honest. But he, he was absolutely superb yesterday. Um and I think the other one that, that really impressed me, who was steady throughout the game, was Ro- Rodri uh, as well. And Rodri sure. this season has been absolutely brilliant. Well, I we'll, think he Rodri, is now the best. Sorry, yeah. No, because we'll, we'll come if I can. We'll save that because we'll come back. I want to do a bit of a season review. I want to stick with this game if I can uh, before right. we do that. So, so, Sarah, before we move on to other things, just sticking with this game, I'm just trying to get the raw emotion out here in terms of how you felt. How how did it compare with? Uh, I said I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to I'm going to go against my own judgment here. How did it compare <laughs> against the the QPR game ten years ago? Clearly different different circumstances I, I, you... I think that's I mean it's a, it's a really good question and I suppose I was thinking about this and I was thinking um, I think that's a bit like asking a parent how they felt when their fourth child was born as opposed to their first one 
I mean, of course, you, you know, when I, well, I remember every minute of uh, that day in, in 2012, like I'm sure we all do, and, and millions of City fans do, but um, because they'd done something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And, you know, I didn't care if we never won another trophy. I could, for one year, I could walk around as a supporter of the Champions of England. Now, we, you know, we've had this 10-year amazing journey. Um, but it it matters just as much like when we, you know, when we when we won at Spurs 4-3, having had a Barton sent off and we were 3-0 down at half time, like the Gillingham game. There's so many games we could cite where you the fact is we all love Manchester City. We have an emotional connection to them. And so when they win even if it's a playoff game to get out of division 1 or whether it's a or to get into the premier league or whether it's it's a, a, a game to win the premier league or whether it's you know hopefully one day a champions league final it's a raw emotion and and people who don't love football and don't love a football team i think find it quite odd that we have emotional reactions to things to the extent that we do um but yeah i was proud and happy nigel proud and happy uh, and Nick, who did you hug first, your dad or your daughter at full time? Uh, both at the same time, I guess. <laughs> I was sat next to my daughter. My dad was on the other side. But um, no, I mean, look, the well, so so first of all, the, the differences and the, uh, 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 the similarities to 10 years ago. Uh, and actually, when as we were walking out, eventually walking out of the ground, my dad said to me, he wasn't actually at the 93-20 game. Um, he said, what was, you know, was it, what was it like? What was it, what was the difference? And I said, well, you know, it wasn't that different. It was pretty similar. Obviously, it wasn't the first. So it wasn't it, just that extra few percent. But other than that, it was very similar. But the, the goals were the same. The Villa goals, you know, the headed goal and the the Coutinho goal were, were very similar to the QPR goals. Um, the turnaround was not that different. The atmosphere was not that different. There were so many sort of similarities. One big difference, 93, 20, 10 years ago, on 90 minutes, I was sat next to my son at the time, who was nine, sitting there with my head in my hands and my hand round round him saying, this is what it's like, I'm afraid. Get there and then it all goes wrong. And then Eddie Dzeko scored and the rest is history. This time round, I sat next to my daughter, who is nearly 17 now, and at 2-0 down and said, plenty of time. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't over yet. This is not over yet. This is gonna. This is. We've still got every single chance of winning this. And um, yeah. you were right, um, Sarah. How how does this team compare in terms of best ever City team? Is this you? You fortunately don't go back quite as far as Roger and myself. Uh, you're clearly the, by far the youngest on the pod this week. But but from your limited time as a City fan, um, best team you've ever seen. Best team by far. Where does it, where does it rank? Um, well, there's an interesting question about whether it's the best of Pep's teams that we've seen this year, never mind the best Manchester City team ever. Um, I think for what, the you know, it, allowing, allowing for the fact that there's been a few changes over the last four or five years, but fundamentally it's a Pep team and a lot of the players have been there for most of that period. 
the sustained success they've had, I think, has to make them Manchester City's greatest ever team. Um, whether this year's is better than 2018-19, okay, but I think if you could count a team as not existing for just one year, but for a period of time, this has been the greatest period in City's history. And so um, have I enjoyed watching them as much as I did two or three years ago? If I'm honest, probably not. That doesn't mean they've not played brilliantly in many games and have brilliant spells, but... I think they've been less exciting this year. And that's why one of the many reasons why I'm excited to see how we play differently with a with an, an, you know a, a proper striker, in fact, two of them, hopefully. Um, and I wouldn't mind, as I've said many times on this podcast, a left-back, a proper left-back, not because I don't love Zinchenko and I really want him to stay, but because I think it's a real oddity that we do not have a specialised left-back allowing for... Where one of ours is, uh, where our one of our left backs is at the moment, um, not to return to the club. Hopefully, you know we we need somebody. So, not the most exciting, but as a team and a squad over a period of time, it has to be City's greatest. I think for me now, it's just best team without a striker by a mile. <laughs> but but you and I go back to 1968, and if you remember, the forward line was Summerby, Bell, Lee, Young, Coleman. It's incredible to think we had five goal-scoring co- uh, forwards in that day, um, and we haven't got a direct striker in the squad this this season. So incredible success for them, really. Uh, Nick, where do you stand? Um, I, I think, yeah, over the last three, four, five years, um, yeah, it's one of the greatest teams in in English football history, actually. Um, as to this particular season, uh, yeah, ups and downs, it's not, it, 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 you know, the whole season, barring yesterday, won't go down as a classic, um, ju- just because, you know, we had a great, start and we sort of peaked in December, January-ish and then it was all a little bit it was just slightly off off peak um, for the period since then for the most part um, you know what more can you say, there's one or two players that yesterday aside you, you think that you know slightly stale across looking at the whole of the season um, that, that just need a refresher or something um, but, you know, that's now's not the time to be talking about that, I don't think. Uh, I'm going to talk about Pep again as well and ask a similar question. I'm going to come back to you, Rog, first, being marginally the, the, the person who's been watching City the longest. Um, you're the, the best. Does, does this now mean he's the best ever to dominate English football? We've just said four out of five seasons. We know that Mercer did his stuff in the late 60s, early 70s. He won a European trophy, we know, etc. But does Pep trump him now, do you think? Does he get that, he that does. crown? I think he does, and he does for me, because if you look at Pep's overall record, uh, and it's something that I share with people, as you know, I'm a, I'm a tour guide at, uh, at the Etihad and, and very often share it with groups when they're coming round. The fact that Pep's record for every four games as manager he has a win percentage of 75%. In other words, three out of every four games he wins. Now, that is absolutely an incredible stat. Uh, there, I don't think there's a manager in the world that has got anywhere near three wins out of every four games. In fact, if you go back to our near neighbours uh, in their great heyday under Sir Alex Ferguson, 
he never got close to three wins out of four games. It was probably about two, 2.2, 2.3, something like that. Not even close to what Pep's record is, which is three wins out of every four games. I think that's incredible. For me, that makes him the greatest manager in the world, never mind for, for City. How do you view that then, Nick? I'm going to come to the youngest person last, obviously, in Sarah. But uh, but for you, Nick, how do uh, how do you rate him? Well, he's the best ever. There's no doubt about that. But um, you know, just like every every great in in the in history, he's got flaws, and you know, there's something, there's some strange glitch there that that just the switch gets flicked sometimes at, at just the, the worst possible moment and, and some some strange decisions get made. But, it, you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a, undoubtedly the best. The records prove it. History proves it. Everything proves it. Agreed, Sarah. Sorry, I know you only go go back ten years watching City straight. You know, obviously, you're not you've not left school that long, so it's. I realise it's difficult for you to look back too far. <laughs> I, I've, on, I've only ever known Guardiola, Nigel. I, I couldn't name you another City manager. Um, I look, he's a genius, and and I use that word deliberately. Um, he's he's obsessive, and he cares. I think passionately, and he needs. Like most people who have that kind of personality, he needs the right environment. It's a bit like somebody who composes music or somebody who or writes scripts or you know, most creative people need the right environment to produce their best work. And that's one of the reasons he loves being at City, is because he's been given that environment. Um I think his obsessive nature um is what causes him sometimes to focus on perhaps the wrong thing or to make the odd wrong decision, as Nick says. But for me, he's definitely City's greatest ever manager and definitely up there in the conversation about the greatest manager that's ever operated in football, world football, never not just English football. So I'm very glad he's ours. Before we do our kind of review of the season, um, I'm, I'm keen to get your view of how things are going to change next year. I think somebody did touch on it. We've got Haaland coming and indeed Alvarez as well. So two world-class strikers, um, which completely changes the dynamic. And, and, and as we said already, you know, we've won this league. We've scored 99 goals without a recognised striker. Uh, we've missed a hatful, as we know. We've created loads of chances, not converted them on many occasions. So next season is going to be very different. I suspect he's not going to play in every game, but I, I would like to think he's going to start in most of them. Haaland, I'm talking about in particular. So, so what are your thoughts about next season? How are we going to line it? How that might change? Because as I've said many times myself on this show, that it will mean that one of those creative midfielders will have to sit it out to make room for Haaland. That's the other thing to consider, of course. So, so it's just it's a very different dynamic. It, it, it just looks and feels different. I just wonder what your reflections on that, Sarah. Just just kick off on that for us. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I'm really excited, and it probably goes back to the point I made a little while ago that I think you know, City have been great this season, but haven't been as exciting as they. Uh, having previous seasons. I think we've all yearned to see City play with a striker because we create so many chances. We just assume that we're going to win 9-0 every game. Um, and you know, we'll see whether that proves to be the case. But I think I think we'll get a, a better season from Grealish. I think Grealish will be great next season. I, I feel very excited about 
about what's to come. And, and if we're honest, at the beginning of the season when we didn't get Kane and we didn't buy a striker and then uh, we didn't buy a left-back and then we lost the left-back we had um, and Liverpool were relentless and they made some, you know, made a good signing in January who seemed to be settling in. There was a, a degree of... We certainly didn't feel like a shoo-in for winning the league. Oh, and we also assumed Chelsea would be stronger and, you know... Even you know who seem to have bought one or two half decent players, although um, clearly not. Um, you know, so it, it it felt like it was going to be quite a difficult season, and yet we still ended up as champions. So, with all the things that I think will be in place, I'm really excited to see what we do next season. Nick, your thoughts about next season, particularly particularly with these the striking options that we're going to have and the impact and the way we might play next season. Yeah, well, again, as 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 is, as always has been, and as always will be, the league is that the league is the test, the ultimate test. Um, the the media and whatever the today's and this this coming week's narrative might try to tell everybody um, are wrong, and the league is the ultimate test, and that's what everyone is always judged by. Um, I suspect that given that Leopards don't easily change their spots, and in the case of Pep Guardiola, why would he? That it's not going to be as much necessarily a case of changing things dramatically to fit Haaland. It's going to be a case of changing Haaland just a little bit to fit in what he needs him to do in our team. Um, And yes, uh, somebody might well well will um have to drop out to make room for him uh we'll see what happens in the summer in terms of the comings and goings which will give us maybe a clear indication of how that's going to pan out um but i think that uh yeah Har- you know if harlan doesn't make a big impression there'll be um There'll be a lot of questions to answer, I guess, rightly or wrongly. Um, as Sarah said, Jack Grealish will, I'm sure, have a phenomenal season next season, and that will it will be his year um, to really make a massive impact. Um, but you know, we 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 probably won't score more than 99 goals because that's an awful lot of goals. Uh, we might just score them a little bit differently and it's it's really just about getting them at the right time and in the right games to make the the ultimate sort of extra extra point or two here or there to make the difference and that's right. what that just might be what it's all about it's like scoring three in five and a half minutes just when you need it when you're two nil down yeah that'd be quite exactly. handy uh rog your, your thoughts on the, the way it's likely to look next season with these two arriving yeah, I mean, I, like most City fans, I'm genuinely excited. And like you, I've renewed my season card already. Um, really excited. I, I've had concerns all through the season that our, our senior squad of 20 players wasn't enough. Um, hopefully this summer, we've not just got Haaland and Alvarez to add to the squad, but we'll also have, uh, like Sarah mentioned, a, a new left-back, hopefully, that we can look at. Uh, that's been mentioned in the press. Uh, we're also looking, we need a replacement for Fernandinho. That needs to be a quality replacement as well. Um, and then you're talking about a senior squad of uh, 23, 24 players. Um, if you remember last summer, we lost four players, which I've written down here just to remind me. Uh, effectively, we lost Mendy, Torres, 
Eric Garcia and Sergio Aguero. Um, all we brought in was Jack Grealish. So we, we're at least three players down that we need to, uh, to, to bring in. I think with a senior squad of 24, 25 senior pros, plus the kids that are coming through, they look really special. You know, Cole Palmer and co, they look really, really special. So with them on the fringes of a 25-man senior squad as well, uh, I think we'll be looking good next season. Yeah, I really do. And I feel genuinely excited uh, about what's going to happen next season. It's probably just worth adding as well that the five subs next season is going to be another big factor in in how much game time people get, isn't it? So it won't be that we, we can't you know we can't keep Bernardo because Harland will be playing all the time and he'll get. So I think I think the five subs and the bigger squad will make quite a big difference. So let's look forward then, or let's look back. Let's have our end of season review. I'm going to ask you a series of questions here. Uh, so I'm going to, to give you a bit of thinking time uh, and let us know on Twitter your thoughts as well to these questions. We're at City Podcast. So I'm going to ask you to give me a mark out of 10 how you would rate Season City. Uh, the, season City? So City Season. See how excited I am here. Uh, best performance of the season is something I want you to think about as well. Uh, player of the season, you might want to. Mention one or two get sort of mentioned in dispatches along the way as well. Player whose time is up. There might well be one or two on that list. Uh, your opposition player you'd love to your team. Um, so what we do, we've done player whose time is up. Opposition player you'd love in your team. Uh, are you happy with your manager? I think we've done that one. That's a stupid question. And, and one learn to take into next season. So there's your questions. You've got a little bit of thinking time. Um, so that's it. Your thinking time is up. So let's do these one at a time and let's go through this as quickly as possible. So I'm going to ask you to, if you could give City a mark out of 10 for this season. Uh, Sarah, a mark, please. I'm going to give them nine, which sounds harsh when you're English uh, champions of England, but we have had a season where we won all three domestic trophies. So for that reason, I'm taking a point off them that we only won one of them, even if it's the most important. Roger Reed, mark out of ten, please. Eight and a half to nine. Okay, Nick. Ten. Yesterday was unbelievable. <laughs> Good for you, uh, Nick. You kick off then with the best performance of the season, then please. Uh, well, I, I was thinking about this a few days ago, and I'll—I guess I'll. Well, no, I'm not going to stick with what I said before. I'm just going to say yesterday's game. Well, wow. okay. <laughs> he's still he's still in the moment. Uh, Rog, best Leeds best United seven nil. Sarah, Chelsea away. Very good, Sarah. You uh, no, Rog. You you kick off then with player of the season. Then please. Well, well yeah. I mean, obviously, player of the year is 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 Kevin De Bruyne. But I I, I just think I was I was saying earlier on, uh, Rodri for me has been absolutely brilliant. I think he really has stepped up to the plate. Um, and yeah, probably for, for me, my my man of the season. Nick, player of the season. My man of the season is Alexander Zinchenko. Unbelievable! What a performance yesterday! What an incredible guy! What a player for the club! Amazing! He's fantastic. Sarah. Well, I, I, I can't disagree with either of those. I, I have to say my my choice is probably Rodri on the basis of the number of games he's played. So I agree completely with Roger. But I think Nick makes a really important point. That that young man has never let City down. He was fantastic yesterday. And 
you know, taking into account everything he's gone through, um, it is all proud. So they can have a joint award from me. <laughs> Roger, player whose time is up. Uh, well, for obvious reasons, Fernandinho, um, who, what a fantastic player he's been for us. But, yeah, I think even he will admit that at 37, it's probably time to move on. But, yeah, round of applause for Fernandinho. Absolutely brilliant servant of this club. Nick, player yeah. whose time's up. Ditto. Agree with every single word of that. Sarah? Yeah, you've got, we've got to go with Fernandinho, haven't we, for obvious reasons. Maybe maybe uh, Scott Carson as well, although I know they love him in the dressing room, so maybe we need to hold on to him. <laughs> Half-time entertainment. <laughs> uh, Sarah, your opposition player you'd like in your team? Well, I would like a left-back, Nigel. I know I'm at the risk of boring everybody. I do would like us to buy a left-back. And actually, uh, is it Mark... Kukache, I can't remember, probably mispronounced his surname. But From the, Brighton, I, the Brighton the, fullback the Brighton with the hair. Fullback, the one with all the hair, yeah, he might need to do something about that hair. But um, I think he's a good player. I've, when I've seen him playing for Brighton, I thought he was a decent player. I can't say that I've watched him and thought, oh, he's amazing, you know. But I think he's the kind of player that Pep could do wonders with. Um, so I would not be at all disappointed if we ended up signing him. Rog? Calvin Phillips from Leeds to replace Fernandinho. Nick? Yeah, I was going to, I've got a little bit of puke in my mouth. I have to say Virgil van Dijk, but I'd probably go with Roger's choice for that reason. Uh, we won't do all about the manager. I think we know how you feel. But just finally, one learning to take into next season. Nick? Well, it's that last. Five minutes of keeping the ball in the corner, which was magically done yesterday and has been magically done in the past and for some reason just didn't happen in Madrid. That's what it's that's that's my learning point, I think. Sarah. I completely agree with Nick. I mean, you know, this sort of the the holy grail of winning the Champions League is getting a bit boring now, but let's all be honest, we'd be absolutely ecstatic if City won the Champions League, preferably in a season when they also win the Premier League. Um, and it has to be more than just a bit of bad luck or things going against us on the day that's causing us to keep losing games that we where we were comfortably a better team than Real Madrid. So some, an analysis of those two legs and put right whatever stopped us going through. And finally, Rog, your, your thoughts, your, what are you going to be uh, taking into next season as a learn? I, I think the big thing for me is the uh, the power of the fans. I, th I think the fans yesterday, the noise they made, the collective support, uh, they they contributed to helping to get City players, you know, back motivated and back in the game. The noise yesterday was incredible. Uh, I think we, we've got to think carefully about building this extension at the north stand end of the ground as quick as we can so that we can get more fans in and more noise there. The fans definitely have played their part this season for me. It's been a tough old season, particularly without the strikers, uh, but I think the fans have been behind them all the way and I think they've played their part. So credit to the fans. By the way, can I add, I think Liverpool have played their part as well. I think they have played their part in pushing us all the way this season, so credit to them as well. 
Fantastic. Listen, it's been a joy and a pleasure, particularly this week, uh, just seeing Nick Goldstone's face all, all, on, on Zoom here. He's had a smile on his face that I've never seen before. Anything like it. He clearly loved it yesterday, as we all did. Um, listen, it's the last one of the season. I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you to my guests who turn up week in, week out, um, to our sponsors, to Leon, our amazing engineer who doesn't even like football. I say that once yeah. a year. Um, and most important of all, you, our listeners. Um, this is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all next season if you'd like to advertise on or sponsor this show contact us at playbackmedia.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky? in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.